Thank you, Joe. Appreciate it. Well, good morning, church family. You all, like, already asked, has anybody still not started any of their Christmas shopping? So it's just me? <laughs> oh, a couple of us have not started. Yes, it's, it is that season of, uh, of, oh gosh, I need to start buying things. Um, but no, I want to thank you all for uh, just a warm welcome last, uh, this last week. Those of you men that came out helped, uh, helped me move into our apartment. Um, just what a huge blessing that was. Um, just to literally stand there and go put it in there, put it in there, put it in there. I mean, I, I, believe me, after that long, long, long drive, that was a huge, huge blessing. So thank you. I also want to just, just how welcome so many of you have been to me. Uh, if my family comes up, as you heard, um, Wednesday I'm going to go back down to Lexington to uh, get them. Uh, I'll be coming back on Friday. Uh, so uh, just be praying for us on uh, Journey to Mercies on that. And then we'll have one more move on that, and that will be in January when my wife goes back with her ankle to get her last look at with the doctor. We will be closing on our house. That's a huge answer to prayer. Um, and then uh, driving up here with what's left over still in the house which is a uh, whole lot of stuff in the garage. So, <laughs> but um, it's, I just want to thank you guys. Thank you so much for just the warmth, the hospitality, the love. Uh, I really, I have, I don't have the words for it, but it's really been just a, a weight off my shoulders. So, well, this morning uh, we're going to be jumping into uh, a passage of scripture in Luke chapter one, and we're talking about how there's nothing that is impossible with God, um, and. When we look at this passage, this is one of these, this is where we start getting into the, the announcement of the birth of Christ. The announcement of the, the basically the, the virgin conception. And this is a, an amazing passage because in it I want to ask two questions. Questions I ask that when you're, when you're studying the word, you, you ask questions of the, of the word as well. It's simply this today. How and who? How is God going to invade into human history? How is it going to come about? And this text is, is going to speak to that. And who is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus that we are to know, we are to encounter? And so if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 1. I'm going to read for it. It should be on the screen here for you guys. Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 38. Luke records this. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying. And tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered her, 
The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Church family, this is the word of God for the people of God. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning to, to hear from you in your word. You chose to have this recorded for us. You put it upon Luke to, to seek out and to, to gain this insight for us. Lord, we ask that you speak to us to understand how you came, how you sent your, your son into this world. What is the meaning of how that came about? And may we understand who Jesus is for us today. May we hear that. May we understand who he is. And may it change our lives this morning. We ask and we pray this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Well, we're going to start right here in the beginning. He says, he starts out in verse 26. It says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now, sixth month, if you look in the text, is referring right before that to what he already announces to her, that Elizabeth was going to be pregnant. Her, her cousin was pregnant at an old age. And so she's now six months along in that pregnancy. So this isn't the sixth month of the year. This is six months into her pregnancy. And six months into her pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent from God. Why is that a big deal to, to, to say it that way? Because this is God's work in salvation. This is not man's work. Man did not seek and, and, and summon the angel to bring this message. Man did not somehow bring about this virgin conception. Man has nothing to do except be used by God. God is the one who is doing this work. And so also I think what's neat here is we see God is invading in actual human history. This is real historical place, a real town, Nazareth. In the region of Galilee, you have to understand for the first century Christian, they could actually look and go, wait, I know where that is. I know that town. I've been there. I know where this region is. It's an historical event. It would be like saying Princeton, Illinois. It's a real place where this takes place. God is working in real human history. We know later on in chapter 2, we will see even more. Luke wants us to see this as a historical event. In Luke 2, verse 1, it says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Why do I reference that? Because this is an actual time in history. We can look up and see who was Caesar Augustus. We can look up in the 21st century and go, wait a minute, there is historical records kept he did actually make a census. This actually was going on. 
This isn't Santa Claus in the North Pole in some mystical place you can't find. No. This is a real, historical, life-changing, God-invading event. And it's important for you to get that. Because our God is not a distant God. He's not working just in the heavens. He's invading earth. He's invading his creation and he's coming to his people for a reason. So the second thing we can see going on just in this first text also is that Christmas, like I said, is about the incarnation. It starts with God. It comes from God. The angel was sent from God. Christmas has no meaning whatsoever without God. Christmas has no true meaning without God. Why? Because it's all about God and God's work. What our world wants to do is take God out of Christmas. Well, to take God out of Christmas means there is no purpose for Christmas. Gathering together with family who you don't see all year and talk to all year and exchange presents out of guilt or I must do for to show I love you. Really, that's what Christmas is about? Racking up credit card debt? Drinking eggnog? That's gross. <laughs> I mean, why? We're going to move a tree from the outside and put it on the inside? Why? Christmas has no meaning without Jesus. Christ came. And as Paul tells us in 1 Timothy 1.15, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Christmas is not about a baby in a manger. It's that that baby is the incarnation of God who came to save sinners. Christmas is pointing towards Easter. That's what Christmas is about. Christmas is about the salvation of the humankind from our sin. And it's a God-started thing. Sinners do not seek, hey, Maybe I can get God to do something for me. No, God is saying, I'm going to do this for you. So the first thing we are looking at here in this God invasion is how. How this absolute God broke into his creation to save sinners. How did God break into our lives? That's one of the questions when you're studying the Word. How is God doing this? What's he doing? He explains. He shows. So the first how that he broke into our universe is that he was doing the impossible. He was doing the impossible thing. That's what Luke 137 tells us. For nothing will be impossible with God. He's answering Mary who's trying to understand the impossible. How is he going How is this going to come about? You might need to hear that today, that God is in the business of doing the impossible. You might need the impossible invasion in your life today. You need, might need him to do the impossible in your life. That's what we need to hear. There is nothing that is impossible for God. If it is God's will to do something, nothing can stop him. Nothing can overcome. Nothing can hinder our Lord and our Savior. That's why he's God. God wants to do the impossible in your life. 
That's what the gospel is all about. The good news of Jesus Christ that's taking sinners and making them into saints is an impossible task except for God. To turn hearts of sin that are hard towards God into hearts that beat with the passion and the love for their Savior, that is a God miracle. You and I are walking miracles of God. You need to think about that when you pray, Lord, thank you for the miracle of my faith. Thank you for the miracle of my salvation. Thank you. That changes your heart. It changes Christmas. It changes everything. When God did the impossible to take you who love sin to now love a holy, righteous God, that is a miracle. You are a miracle. You are a living, breathing to this town miracle. And and this town needs to know the miracle that Jesus Christ did in your life. There is nothing that is impossible for him to make happen. This is why Jesus, when he teaches us about our will and about our hearts and our mind, he's saying, hey, you just pray for the Lord's will to be done in your life. When he teaches his disciples and he teaches us, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be his name, his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're not to be praying Our will be done because our will has no understanding of the will of the Lord. But he's going to make his impossible will known. He's making his will known to you, to me. So when we preach the gospel to our souls, as we talked about last week, you need to be preaching this truth to your heart, in your fear, in your struggles, in the pain of raising four teenagers, in the pain of, of, of taking two sinners and now joining them together and calling it a marriage, in the pain of trying to survive in finances, the pain of, of aging, the pain of sickness, the pains of cancer, we look out to our God and say, this life is impossible. We need the impossible God to work in our lives. We need you to invade and do the impossible. We need you to change us. So the angel says, that's what God's all about. That's his work. The second thing we notice here on how God breaks into this creation is that it's through the virgin birth. This is the impossible act we're seeing. In Luke 1, 27, he says, To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, And the virgin's name was Mary. We can know who she was. She's fulfilling over 700 years of prophecy, all the way back in Isaiah chapter 7, that a virgin or a maiden will bear a son and call his name Emmanuel, which means God is with us. She will bring forward a child who is God, who is with us. That's an impossible task. You can imagine 700 years of the nation of Israel going, I don't get it. How's that happen? Isaiah must have got it wrong. He must not have understood. How is God going to be among us from a virgin? How does a virgin give birth? How does a virgin get pregnant? This is what 
the angel wants to communicate to her. In verse 31, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And Mary responds in verse 34, how will this be since I am a virgin? I've never been with anyone. I've never even been with my betrothed. Literally, I, I don't know what that looks like. This is a teenage girl here. How is this going to come about? The impossible. But he's not just going to say, oh, God's going to do the impossible. He's going to tell her how God does it. In verse 35, Luke records the angel saying this, that the angel answered her, that the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy and the, the Son of God. This child is born holy. He is conceived in a holy way. This isn't like the Greek mythology where the Greek gods come down and rape women and have demigods and all kinds of weird stuff. There is no act of sin. There is no act of sexual immorality. There is no sex outside of marriage. God does not violate her. The Holy Spirit comes upon her and does a miracle work of creation. The same God who with his own voice breathed creation into existence, let there be light, created the source of true light in her. He spoke it into existence. The Holy Spirit came. The same Holy Spirit, when you look back in Genesis, that hovered over the waters, and was, was breathing life into Adam, that same Holy Spirit put, put the child, Jesus, in the womb. That's how 700 years of prophecy comes about. A child that will be 100% human because it's born of Mary, but yet is 100% God because the Holy Spirit put him there. Now, the third way God breaks into creation, how he comes into this world, is by choosing a human father who is going to be an heir of King David. This human father will adopt him and raise him as his own. We see that in the very beginning in the first few texts, in verse 26 and 27, that in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed, to a man whose name was Joseph, and he is of the house of David. He's of the house of David. This is fulfilling more prophecy of where the, the, the Messiah will come from. God said that the, the, the Savior, the Messiah, would come and be a king like David. Oh, he's like David, but he's greater than David. He is a king who will come. For 2,000 years since Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, God had been preparing the nation, preparing history, moving all of creation, moving throughout the Roman Empire so that they would bring about a Pax Romana, a piece of Rome in the area. They would bring one language that would be used to spread the gospel. They brought about one new type of roads so that the gospel could travel. They brought about all of this so that it would also move Joseph and Mary nine months later 
from northern Israel to southern Israel so that, that Jesus would be born fulfilling in the, the town of David in Bethlehem. God is at work in all of this. Isn't it neat to see what our God is doing? He broke into this universe, not in just as a generic human being, but as a Jew to fulfill over 2,000 years of covenant promises so that God would be glorified and his truthfulness will be shown to all generations. A Jew to vindicate every promise and a man to identify with every nation. The fourth way God enters into our lives, when I say how, as we've already looked at a little bit, is the Holy Spirit and His divine power. When Mary asks in, in verse 34, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And He answers her in verse 35, that the Holy Spirit will come upon you. He's going to give power. It takes God's power, not man's power, to change a life. It takes God's power to move in your life. When you answer prayer, when prayers are answered for you, it's not your power. It's God's power being moved. You're crying out to that source, move. Please move. Use your impossible power. Move your divine power. Invade into what I cannot do. So the Son of God came into the world through the power of God. That's how he broke into this universe. By doing the impossible, by choosing to enter the universe through a virgin, by choosing a legal human father who would fulfill all the prophecies of King David, and by sending his Holy Spirit with divine power to, to move in a virgin to bring about a divine child. That's the first question I want to ask. How is God at work? But now we go from how to who. Who was it that is now coming? All this work of how is to bring about the who. If all we focus on is the how, we're like, okay, that's great. God did something, but God's still distant from us. But when we know the who, now it's personal. How he did that is now for you. Who came into this universe? We start in chapter 1, verse 32 and 33. He says, he will be great. This, who is this guy who is great? He will be called the Son of the Most High. Who is he? And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. There are three terms that are used here in these in this verses that I've underlined. Three terms that we need to grab. Throne, reign, and kingdom. The Lord will give to him the throne of his father David. He is a, he's going to sit in a seat of power. He is going to use that power to over us, to reign over us, to have authority over us, to be in charge and have his will be done in us. And this, where he is doing it, is his kingdom. 
God's kingdom is not just earth. God's kingdom is your life. God wants to reign in your life. He wants to put his power at work in your life. If you're sitting here going, I'm going through all the struggles of life in this sinful, broken world, and I'm encountering it, what you need to know is the who. Who is this? Because I need him sitting on the throne of my life. I need him reigning over my life. I need my life to be surrendered to be his kingdom. My finances, my relationships, my children, my home are not mine. They're his kingdom. You are his kingdom. What kind of king is he going to be then? If we establish that he is king, what kind of king is he? So I want to focus us then on that. And the first term we see in verse 35 that describes the type of king he is, is holy. In Luke 1.35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy. That's a unique term, holy. It means pure. It means good. It means without defect or deficiency or blemish. This word is full of hope for us because we know what corruption looks like. We only have to turn on any one of the different talking heads that call themselves news. And listen and see all the corruption of leadership. We only have to flip through the channels. I'm, I'm still getting news from back home on my phone to see another shooting. To see another person dying. To seeing what's going on. The principal of my kid's high school tried to break up a fight and got put in the hospital the other day. We see corruption all the time. It moves in our lives. It moves in us where we seek to do things that are opposite the holiness of God. We need a holy God. Christ came to be holy for you. He came to put his holiness on you. To do something that's impossible for you. To take away the corruption of you and your heart so that you can be what he is holy. That's good news, church. You might need to take a second and close your eyes and just thank him. Lord, thank you for making me holy because I don't deserve it. I didn't earn it. Thank you for being holy for me. The second term of of what we see of our king and what kind of king he is going to be is that he is the son of God. Still in verse 35 here, we see this. That he is not only called holy, but he is the Son of God. In Luke 1.32, it says that he will be called the Son of the Most High. This means this holy Savior has the power of the universe in his hands. He has the power to work in your lives. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the Son of God. This King has power and authority Not just to give orders to do work in all of human history, but to bring about true 
change in your life. He has the power to take you from being an enemy of God to being like him, a child of God. If he is fully loved by God, that means you are fully loved by God. Think about that, church family. You are loved. Not just, oh, that's a nice little Hallmark card love. But you are loved by God the same way that God God the Father loves God the Son. God the Son is His greatest joy. His greatest revelation of who He is. He pours out all His love on Jesus. He gives everything and is all about making much of Jesus. He's all about him. As any good father or mother is about their children, they're all about their children. I love my children. Even when they're a bunch of knuckleheads. I love them. And I can't even imagine a greater love that I, than, than what I have for my children. And yet, when I read the gospel, I see a greater love. Because we were not natural born children of God. What was impossible is that we were aliens and strangers who hated God and were enemies of God and rebellion against God. And he said, I'm going to take you who hate me and make you my child. That's what the beautiful thing about the, the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15. That God that, that a son who squanders his father's wealth and treats his father as if he's dead is welcomed back with arms open, putting his robe of holiness on his son. So that everyone, when they see his son, they see the father because the father's robe is on him. That's what a covenant is. God's putting his holiness on you. He's putting his love on on you. He's putting his treasure on you. He's putting his strength on you so that when the enemy Satan rises up against you, he doesn't go to battle with you. He goes to battle with God. And you need to hear that when you are battling with cancer, when you're battling with weakness, when you're battling with hard finances, when you're battling with with struggles in marriage. What we're battling against is not, not flesh and blood, but against powers and principality and the spirit of the air. So we need a God who comes and fights for us. Not man, not Santa, not Rudolph. I need Jesus. Who says, I am going to work the impossible in your life. The third term of what kind of king he is, is his name itself. He is Jesus. Luke 131, he says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Mary didn't pick that name for him. God did. The Son of God was not called Jesus until this moment in history. He was just called the Son of God. But when the Son of God took upon human form, he now became Jesus. In Matthew's gospel, talking about this same narrative, in Matthew 1.21, he says, You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's what Jesus means. It's a translation in the Greek from Isuus, 
which corresponds and is connected to the, the Hebrew name Joshua or Yeshua, which means Savior. If you didn't know anybody named Joshua, just walk them to give them a fist bump and say, how you doing, Savior? <laughs> That'll freak them out really good. <laughs> what? Oh, didn't you know you're named after Jesus? That'll be a fun evangelism moment. But that's what Paul talks about. In 1 Timothy 1.15, I've already quoted it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Why? Because that's his namesake. That's his purpose. Christmas is about God coming to save sinners. That's the kind of king he is. The fourth way to understand our king here, also seen in this text, is that our king, who is our savior, who is holy, who is the son of God, is also forever. Verse 33, he says, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. There's not going to be a recall. There's not going to be another election. Where there is no debate, the king has come. The king is here. And he will never leave you, never forsake you. Our king is here. Our king broke into this universe because he is a holy king who wants to bring his holiness to you. He is a divine God king bringing his power on your behalf. We don't need any more men kings. We know what they're like. He is our saving king and he is forever. So church family then comes my last question for you. How is this person alive in your life? How are you encountering this Savior today? We don't like kings. We like democracy. We want a vote. We want a voice. We want our will be done on earth. We want our will be done in our life. We have our ways of doing things. This is my life. This is my body. This is my way of doing things. I want to be whatever I want to be. Isn't that what they're all fighting about now on TV? Whatever person chooses to be, let them be. That's true freedom. That's true slavery. true slavery because you're not being who God created you to be. And we need that divine power in our lives to show us who to be, to lead us who to be, to change us who to be. My natural inclination is not to be who I am right now in 2023. My natural inclination is to be opposite of what God has called me to be. And I want my will to be done. I want my mansion on a hill. I want my fame. I want worship of me. I want to be, I want it all about me. And isn't that what we a lot of times turn Christmas into? What's your Christmas list? Because it's all about you. What is it you want for Christmas? Now what you need is a Savior King 
So where is he not a king in your life? Where are you living outside of the king's reign in your life? Where are you not surrendered to our Lord and our Savior today? What secrets are you hiding? What addictions are you minimizing? It's no big deal. It's just... What lifestyle are you choosing to live and declare it as your king of your own life? It's still good. We don't want a king. We want a president. Because we can vote him in and vote him out. But he came to be king. He is forever. And we know a day will come when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So that can be today and enjoy the work and the power and the beauty of this Christmas that your Savior has come for you today. And let that be the greatest gift in your life that he is doing a new work in you. A saving work in you, a holy work in you, a God-glorifying work in you. Or you can wait till that day when he forces every knee to bend and every knee to bow. And you will miss out, not just on his presence now, but for eternity. Where are you? All of us here, say this to myself. Where is he not king in my life? Where am I doing things in my own strength? Where am I trying to control? Where I'm driving around town going, I know what kind of house I want to buy, where I want to live. God going, that house isn't for sale for you. I'm not giving you enough money for you. You can afford that. Come on. Who decided 8% interest rates were really awesome? <laughs> but his will be done. That's fun in conversation with your bride who's back in Lexington, broken ankle, saying, hey, honey, here's the kind of houses that are available. Well, we're just going to stay in the apartment for a while, I guess. Every one of us has those moments, and every day, this is when we talk about the gospel being preached to your soul. Every day, we've got to come back to who our God is and what our God has done and speak it to our hearts because our hearts don't want a king. Your will be done, Lord. My, this may challenge my workplace. This may challenge my colleagues. This may challenge the world that I live in who doesn't surrender to you, Jesus, as king. But I am going to surrender to you as king today. And that's counter-cultural. Welcome to Christianity. You want to be a rebel? Follow Christ. You want to be challenged to the status quo? Follow Christ. That is my prayer for you this morning. That this Christmas will be a radically new Christmas for you. That you will know the King who came for you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the truth of your gospel. We thank you that you reveal who you are to us. 
Lord, do not let us leave this place just with information. Let us leave this place with transformation. Let us be bending our knees this morning. As we sing this last song, may it actually be true in our hearts. May we not sing a melody, but may it be an echo of the truth of who you are to us. May we worship you out of truth. And whether we are not in our lives, may we surrender them today. May we seek you. May we repent and know our saving King who welcomes us back. Who tells us that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that we are saved. Tells us if we repent from our sin, we are forgiven. What a good God, King, you are. May we know the great gift of you, Jesus, today and every day and all day. May we live for your kingdom come and your will be done in our lives. We ask and we pray this in Jesus' name. Church family, would you stand and worship our Lord and Savior this morning?